the Sports Talk with Devin Wade recap. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. What we think so far. Lakers, were they oversold? Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade briefcast. Welcome to Briefcast 34 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Of course, the Briefcast, I want to come to you guys solo without my special teams unit, but that doesn't stop us from having a very packed episode this time out. We have a couple of very important conversations, and I'll give you a full rundown of what you have to look forward to. But first and foremost, don't know how you found us, but I want to encourage all of you guys to go to the wadeswordproductions.com website and uh, subscribe, look around, sort of take a feel for everything, vote on the uh, We The People page. It's wadeswordproductions.com. And I tell you what, it's a fun, fun website. You have all past episodes on there. So if you missed a show or you want to look around or listen around to hear what we've talked about in previous episodes, that is where you go. And if you subscribe, we give you updates on what we have going on, what locations we'll be at when we start to do remotes, and some of the things that you may uh, look forward to as uh, we sort of continue to go and grow and get bigger and better. Again, on social media, we are on, or I'm at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. And, of course, on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group. And I want to encourage you guys for the We the People segment to call 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614, hours a day. And you can leave a message, an opinion, a thought. We'll ask questions on the website and on the social media pages. And to get your response, we certainly look forward to hearing from you guys 24 hours a day. Just leave a recorded message. 832-941-6614 is the number to call. Now, this time out, we have a couple of very important conversations. We are going to hear from Washington Redskins wide receiver Darvin Kidsey, a former Texas Southern product. Had a chance to catch up with him a couple of weeks ago as camps start to wind down and we get into the NFL season. We're hoping that uh, he does some work and makes the active roster. He was on the practice squad last year, had a brief conversation with him. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But the first conversation you'll hear is with former Houston Oiler, former Miami University, Miami, the U, from the U, the Miami uh, University Hurricanes, Bubba McDowell. Houston Oiler, current assistant head coach at Prairie View A&M University. We have a great conversation with him about the U and uh, his days there. In addition to that, we touch on some Oilers stuff, and we get ready for the Labor Day Classic. We get his thoughts on his team and uh, really his sort of progression through coaching and his transition from being a player to being a coach. So all that's coming up. In addition to that, we have some features. We are going to get into a new feature, and I need it so desperately. It is the Ain't That Good News segment. And, you know, so much of what we hear about athletes and about the world of sports is negative. I came up with the concept of highlighting. Well, I didn't come up with the concept, but I am highlighting good things that these athletes and uh, sort of organizations are doing in the community and for other people. And so uh, some of these stories you have heard about and you know about, but we sort of condensed them into a new segment that we are going to roll out this episode called Ain't That Good News. In addition to that, we'll get into some headlines and we'll give out a Lamont Award for this week's 
big dummy. I have a trio of candidates, so I'll narrow it down and I'll pick one. All of them are deserving. And you know what? I want to thank you guys so much for suggesting Lamont Award recipients. My man Ray Miller and a couple folks on social media say, you know, when they see something stupid and they forward it to me, they said, hey, we have a Lamont Award nominee. Well, yeah, we have three, but I'll, I've narrowed it down to one, and I have a big Lamont Award in addition to that before I let go. And we have a mix from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. So all of those things and more. With that, let's get into some headlines. Well, I was all set to record last night and just run a couple of the interviews and, and all of that good stuff, but then breaking news started to happen. First and foremost, for all my Houston folks, huge, terrible news for the Houston Texans as Lamar Miller tears at ACL last night. And in a preseason game, you know, we I've talked about this on KTSU Sports Talk, and it just looks like preseason is more and more irrelevant, that it just really doesn't matter. I think uh, the teams get more out of the team practices when they have joint practices where a team will fly in for three or four days. Uh, the Detroit Lions did that here in Houston. I think the teams are happiest getting work in like that. And fewer and fewer players are playing in the preseason. It's It just doesn't add up to the formula that it used to be. It used to be, hey, you play a little bit, a little bit more, into the second half, and then that last game you play one more series. This time out, I mean, these guys make too much money. It's too important. You have to get hit the ground running, and you can't suffer the kind of injuries uh, that happened to uh, the Texans last night. And there have been other players around the NFL that have gotten injured, but that's a huge injury. For the Houston Texans, we've seen Cam Newton uh, since last time out. He got banged up, and he is they're cautiously optimistic that he will start the season with a mild foot sprain. So uh, Lamar Miller's out. Duke Johnson is banged up, hadn't played yet, and we'll have to see what this means for the running back position for the Houston Texans. But that news pales in comparison to what happened with Andrew Luck retiring last night abruptly. So a guy in the seventh season, 29 years old, one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in this league. I mean, I would say he is in that second tier maybe. I mean, a really big difference maker, comeback player of the year, beat the Texans in the playoffs, came back after some shoulder issues. Weren't, he wasn't sure if he was going to return from those. The, well, that injury and other injuries that uh, lacerated uh, kidney. He's had some other stuff, concussions or a concussion. So he's had a lot of stuff. He's been banged up. And, you know, he had a, what they diagnosed as a high ankle sprain. And for whatever reason, it must be a lot more serious than that. He just was in a lot of pain day in and day out and decided to call it quits. And he drew the booze of the folks uh, in Indianapolis uh, who didn't expect that announcement. The announcement was leaked by Adam Schefter of ESPN. He leaked it, and uh, apparently they wanted to have a press conference on Sunday where they could make the announcement without anybody knowing. But it got out, and it was announced, and folks in the crowd knew about it before and Andrew Luck knew that they knew about it. And he had to walk off the field, and, and folks were booing him. I don't know. In looking at it, it looks like, yeah, they were booing him. You know, I don't know if they were trying to express some sort of disappointment, like, oh, boo, you got hurt. I don't know. It just – I can't believe somebody would boo him with the perception that he's some sort of quitter. I mean, the reality is, man, 
he's in a lot of pain. And, you know, anybody in any walk of life. I have former NFL friends. One of my guys, PC, is in constant pain to this day. And you think about it, if he had the money and the resources and maybe if he had made the millions and millions of dollars that Andrew Luck has made over his uh, short career, then maybe he would have shut it down a year too early if it would have uh, saved some of the wear and tear on, on his back. And I mean, just it's hard to imagine living in constant pain and discomfort in this in this endless cycle of you know working out to re rehab and recover, getting injured again, being separated from your team, living in pain day to day. I don't fault him for retiring at all. I mean, it, it just it is what it is. I mean, that's if you have the luxury to do that financially or you have other things that you can go and do uh, i think that you'll see this more and more we've seen this as a trend guys ejecting they're getting out of the game they're trying to do a money grab and get out i don't think this that was the case with andrew luck i just think that the frustration of having to not practice and try to be in good enough shape to play he just it seemed very very frustrated uh, by the process. I don't know that that means he'll never play again. It probably does. Uh, but, I mean, you can't say enough about him as a player. And this shakes up, totally shakes up uh, the AFC South. Now, all of a sudden, Tennessee is like, okay, we have Ryan Tannehill. We have um, Marcus Mariota. We're good at quarterback. We have depth there. We got quality running backs, good defense. Mike Rabel in the second year in Tennessee, he's looking good. Jacksonville has to feel like, man, we can make a massive rebound if we can get some quality play from the quarterback position. They added Nick Foles. Uh, and let's see if they can improve on that defense that fell apart. They made, got rid of some folks. They changed the dynamic of the locker room. And, of course, the Houston Texans, who won the division last year, uh, what can they do? Now, again, they, they have a struggling offensive line. And you know what? Preseason games don't matter at all unless you look as bad as they looked last night against the Cowboys, losing 34 nothing. And Bill O'Brien tried to kind of say, oh, well, I'm not going to blame it on Lamar Miller, but it did take the wind out of ourselves. Don't bring Lamar Miller up when you talk about that performance last night. The offensive line has some major, major issues. And I'll tell you what, if they don't get that fixed, they can put Bo Jackson circa 1985 out there and it's, it won't matter. If you can't do it, and you may, you may very well get Deshaun Watson hurt and banged up. So, again, it was his athleticism. It has been his athleticism that's built the Texans out of a lot of different situations. So those things happened last night. And, and you know, it's just – it is what it is. You, 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 you know, you hate to see a guy leave. It takes the wins out of the sales of that organization. And all of a sudden, they are just not relevant. I, I mean, maybe Jacoby Brissett can be serviceable, but I, he's in no way – on the level of a Andrew Luck. And, you know, we had this discussion yesterday. And this, I don't even want to have it. I'll wait to have it on KTSU Sports Talk. But there's this perception that, that certain quarterbacks get everything handed to them, around them to, to uh, help them be successful. Well, here's a guy that did not get any help. He got a late-round pick in T.Y. Hilton that developed into a star in this league. He hadn't had quality. I mean, he's had decent running backs. He hadn't had star running backs. He hadn't had depth at wide receiver. He has had an awful offensive line. Hence, he's gotten beaten up, and they hadn't protected the franchise, and now he's done. And so I think that will be a, a lesson to maybe them 
but they never did address their offensive line adequately, and you got him beat up quite a bit. And he was a big guy. He's a big guy, but he took a lot of punishment that he didn't have to take if they had invested more in that offensive line and other parts around him uh, to make uh, Andrew Luck successful. So I just think that that changes the dynamic quite a bit. I'm not going to say that they were Super Bowl contenders, but that defense with Darius Leonard and, and, you know, they're getting better. And they're competitive. And, again, they came to Houston last year and won in the opening round of the playoffs, losing to Kansas City on the road. So they would have been a competitive team. And I would have said a a definite playoff team. But that division also is going to be a very tough one game in and game out. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens moving forward. But that's a big, big blow for both the Indianapolis Colts and losing Lamar Miller in, in, in the locker room as well as on the field. He has not been a superstar, but he's been consistent. He's been a serviceable back. He's done the things that they want him to do. But, you know, again, you can't have superstars at every position. Still no Ezekiel Elliott in camp, but they think that that'll happen soon. And there are other things that happen uh, around the league. Doug Martin released. There are a few other things that have gone on. A few guys have retired. Nothing of major, major note other than what I've mentioned so far. So with that, let's get into our first conversation. Had a chance to uh, have a talk with a guy I've been interviewing since 1992, Bubba McDowell. Now, let me explain to you who Bubba McDowell is. There are a lot of millennials, I guess, I guess millennials, people who don't remember his career. He was a great safety for the Texans. He was a hard hitter. He was tenacious. He had one of the top plays in college football history for an era, for a decade or so. One of the top 20, I think, plays. And as uh, he played for Miami. And he was a four-year letterman at Miami. Won a national championship with the Canes. Came in, uh, they were number two. They ended the season number two in two different seasons. So he could have had three national championships. But I've been interviewing him. And I just remember early on in my young days, he was one of the guys that would always take time to field my questions, to do one-on-ones with me. He came and did uh, KTSU's uh, Sports Talk with Devin Wade, the radio show, early, early on when not a lot of people were doing it. He came to do it. That was a great time, a great conversation. And, again, he worked at – he coached at Texas Southern University, coached at University of Houston. He'll talk about all of those things. And now he's currently in his ninth season at Prairie View. We talked about the U and some of the stuff that went on at the uh, at University of Miami, Miami University, University of Miami. And he talked about those days. He talked a little bit about the Oilers. And I think we'll have him back to talk more about the Oilers days because I don't think people – I was around, but I don't think people around the country know just how outlandish and outrageous that locker room was. A lot of stuff went on, a lot of big personalities and some of the best football players of that era played on those teams. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about that. And we got geared up for the Labor Day Classic. He talked a little bit about his Prairie View A&M team. They uh, are facing my Texas Southern Tigers. I have been broadcasting Texas Southern football for my my 26th season of doing Texas Southern football. And so, uh, you know, again, I am all – I'm Tiger through and through. I'm rooting for the Tigers and to pull it out and, and rebound from a 60-14 to 14 loss last season at the end of the season. So we talked a little bit about that. He had an opportunity to talk about his guys on the defensive side of the ball. He's assistant head coach, and right now he's currently coaching cornerback. So we talked about that and a lot more. Here's our conversation with Bubba McDowell. 
As promised, joined now by former NFL safety, Houston Euler, and uh, current Prairie View A&M DB coach, Bubba McDowell, good friend of the show, good friend of mine. First of all, good afternoon, good morning. So good to visit with you. I hadn't talked to you in a minute. It occurred to me, because I'd called you a couple times and I couldn't connect with you, and I said, wait a minute, I've been interviewing Bubba McDowell since 1992. <laughs> so <laughs> how you doing this morning, I'm doing well, my brother. How you doing? I'm doing good. We're we are a week away from the Labor Day Classic, and I want to get into that. But I also want to talk uh, more about you because, and you know, you've had a phenomenal career in football all the way around. And I first, I mean, obviously, growing up as a native Houstonian, you know, yes, we rooted for you guys. And then as a working member of the media, early on when I was a very young guy. We both were young, <laughs> and uh, right. you you were one of the guys that I could always go to that would take up time, and you were a star in this league, and, and you still you were able to take time out and, and was always accommodating. Talk a little bit about uh, just sort of your journey. Let's start with your journey at, at the U, because I always say this. It's only you and Andre Johnson are the two quietest Miami, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, Miami Hurricanes of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, they, they, you know, they always said that I, I wasn't a true king because of that, you know, because I was pretty quiet, you know, going growing up as a young child anyway. But they always kid me, um, you can't be a true hurricane, man, because you, you don't talk much as the mother guys do. Well, you know what? And the thing is, what attracted you to Miami? Because they were already sort of brash. I mean, during your time there, it really right. kind of went next level. But what attracted you attracted you to Miami? Because, again, those guys were all about bravado. Oh, yeah, they were. You know, and me uh, and my uh, classmate at the high school classmate, best friend, Eric Ham, you know, we had, we had already decided to, um, you know, we were going, wherever we go, we was going to go together. You know, we were going to go as a pack. You know, we took the visit to Miami, you know, got recruited by Alonzo Highsmith and those guys are those guys took us out when we got there, you know, and set, and the funny thing is, you know, our whole high school coaching staff at that time was pretty much Florida Florida guys. You know, they graduated from Florida, uh, with the Gators, you know, played there. Coach Odom played there who was the head coach at the time. You know, and the offensive coordinator was um, Jeff uh, McLean. You know, he was the only Florida State guy there uh, on on the staff. So, it, you know, it was they were trying to get us to go to Florida, no doubt. You know, and it, and it came down to those two because I think Eric may may have took uh, maybe one other trip to Ohio or Michigan, and I didn't take any out. No, I'm not going out of state, so I wasn't planning on taking those school those trips, those five trips, and you know, and as you would have it. Tom Dottie, who was recruiting us two at the time, uh, he was uh, recruiting heavy, and we were, it was going back and forth between Florida and Miami. And actually, we was we was going to go to Florida. Uh, we we it was kind of made our pack. You know what, Florida, you know, closer families get there, a lot more tradition at that point in time. We thought, you know, and sure enough, uh, as it comes out. You no, know, we both played basketball, and Don Salinger jumped in at that point and got hired by Jimmy. And she, Don kept coming to all our basketball games, and every time we turned around, you know, he was sitting in the stands, didn't say nothing to her at the end of the game, but he was just sitting there, you know. And sure enough, uh, the Florida guy, he just stopped calling for a whole week, and me and Eric was just figuring out what was going on. We didn't hear from him, and all of a sudden, you know, 
here we go, Don Solinger again in one of our basketball games. And we just made that comment, commitment at that time. And this all again, all after kind of going back, all this was after Howard Snowberg and all came in and talked with us and everything, man, at the homes. And we're like, hey, man, what's going on with Florida? We didn't hear anything. So we decided, hey, let's go ahead and, and take this trip down to Miami. And that's how we decided. Basically because, you know, the gentleman uh, recruiter at, at Florida stopped calling. We didn't hear anything. Then we had Don Solinger, who's constantly calling us to stay in contact with us. And he showed us, basically showed us some more love than Florida at the time. So we chose to go there. And you get there, and, and there's, I mean, you talk about uh, who's who, almost a, a college Hall of Famers. Uh, oh, first of yeah. all, you said you recruited by Alonzo Highsmith, who was a number three overall pick in the NFL and, and still is a big personnel guy in the NFL to this day. You yeah, talk about yeah. that, but then you, all the other teammates that you played with during those times, and you guys went on to win a national championship, but you were a four-year letterman. So talk a little bit yeah. about just the beginning, that first year, because when you came in, you had the Blades, one of the Blades, both of the Blades brothers there, right? Yeah, so you had some guys, and it was uh, tough competition from day one when you uh, stepped on campus. Uh, oh, trust me. Yeah, it was so, the, the competition was so tough. Uh, I I contemplated leaving at one point because <laughs> I wasn't getting I wasn't getting playing time, and I thought I should have. You know, and most athletes do. You know, and shoot, you know, we we had uh, Reggie Sutton there at the time as well. You know, again, that Benny Blaze, that Selwyn Brown, Daryl Fullerton. I mean, we was Tim Sims who was in my class uh, from uh, Bell Glade. So we, I mean, we were stacked. I mean, you know, like one, two, three. And maybe four deep at that time, so it was it was it was competition. And shoot, and actually, when I came in, I got hurt. I I, I kind of uh, I thought they was going to take my scholarship. We was you know, going back, you know, we, me and Eric was going out to the high school, just kind of playing against the uh, senior basketball team. And then I went up to uh, dunk one time, then came down on one of the players' leg and tore my knee up. And but Jimmy ended up uh, honoring the scholarship anyway. So I, was, Jimmy I had to sit out the race. Yeah, I had to sit out the race for a year anyway. Then got back healthy, you know. Then got to playing, playing pretty good, competing with those guys there. And shoot, you know, I thought I was able to come in and play, you know. And again, I was all more, more coming out of high school. I was more a offensive guy, and I was started at wide receiver. Sophomore year, played wide receiver all the way to my June, to my senior year, where they had to move me back to a quarterback and running back, which we ended up switching to the option. But again, you had all those athletes there, man. You know, every you know athlete think that he should be playing <laughs> anyway. So I told I told Eric, I said, I'm gone, man. You know, my sophomore year, I, said, I can't do this no more. Uh, that summer, I ended up like you know what, going home to my high school mentor, Miss Benton. You know, she was like, "No, you're going back. You know, you're not going to quit. You're going back." I said, "No, I think I should be playing." Yada yada yada. I said, "No, you're not going to quit. You're going back." So she taught me back, and I, I, I promise you that was probably the best thing that uh, or best point of my life. You know, her talking me going back because again, you know, looking forward, going forward, looking at what happened. You know, it was, it was one of the best things. And again, like we, we had athletes galore. I mean, that could easily come in from you know and play on that team at that particular time. Now, and you, know, what was that locker room like? What was life like? I mean, again, it was they, you guys were larger than life on Saturdays, but just living with those guys with all of that sort of uh, the bragging and the brashness and uh, bravado, what was that like just to be in that highly, highly competitive environment? Well, so, uh, you know what? I, I must say it was, it was exciting. 
I felt uh, I belong there. You know, once I got back and the guys really started, and they, they knew what had happened. So, they, and again, they started, I started hanging out more with, with the guys because, you know, when I first got there, I was one of the kids that never hung out and go out anyway. You know, and I barely went out while the five years I was there. But, you know, once I started hanging out more and really got, got to know the guys, man, and just seeing how they relate to one another as a family, because at, at that point in time, it was like, Either you're with us or you're not, you know, no matter where we go. <laughs> it could be, I mean, to the store, it could be out of the club or some, get something to eat or anywhere on campus. You're going to, you, if you're not with us, you know, you need to go ahead and get out right now. So, you know, and I started doing that and man, it was just, it's just one of the most exciting times in my, in my entire life. One of those deals where they say, you know, if you can go back in a period of time, that would be one of those period of times right there. Who were some of the guys that you were close to? I mean, maybe some names we know, maybe some names we don't know. Who were some of your teammates that you, you were closest to? Uh, me, Rod Carter, uh, Colin Stroker, you know, big, big linebacker from uh, Fort Lauderdale. We came in the same year. Tracy Waiters, you know, uh, Andre Brown. We was all, and, you know, all of us stayed together. So, you know, naturally, those guys were probably uh, I was close to Warren Williams, um, the running back. Me and Warren ended up staying together. I think in my last two years there at, at Miami, uh, Jerome Brown, you know JB, you know unfortunately died. Uh, got the big time player with the Philadelphia Eagles, and and I think me and Jerome kind of hit it up because Jerome we was in the fast cars, and I didn't realize you know I grew up with driving and you know and building fast cars my older brother and my dad and then when i got to miami uh jerome finding, finding out jerome was one of those guys too love fast cars and he had this grand national at that time 87 grand national uh that he did all the work to a lot of high school had this grand national t-type body a regal t-type body basically the same car you know uh just not as fast as the grand national so it was uh, those guys i I ended up gravitating to Winston Moss because Winston was one of those guys who brought me in and kind of taught me the music, and I used to go and buy all these music albums at the time. And what were you listening I, to? <laughs> what kind of stuff? Of course, of course, of course Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Luke, huh? Was he, a lot, was he around the, pro, uh, the, the, uh, the program a lot at th those days? I mean, I know yeah. later on he really was. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. You know, he come around. You know, because he knew Melvin, Toba Bain, all those guys pretty, pretty well. Got to know them pretty well. And yeah, he was. He was always there. You know, wherever we was at, a lot of times he was there. You know, out you picking know, up the tab. Picking. <laughs> <laughs> I played the fifth. I played the fifth. So you won't say anything about that part. What about practice? I mean, you had Irvin on the team, Mike Irvin on the other side. I mean, how did you? How did you guys? Uh, I mean, I'm sure those practices were just fierce. Oh man, I mean, competitive, very competitive. You know, it's like I tell my my kids today. I'm like, dude, you want to be the best, you got to go up against the best, but you also got to put in that effort every day. And and those and the good thing about it, the best thing about it, those guys would not let you take a day off there, man. That and that's the mentality that we had. You know, I think a lot of that came. I mean, I can't remember what I think it was my sophomore year, and Jimmy Johnson called us up and. We was halfway through practice, man. You know, of course you can't do those things now, but we was halfway through practice, and Jimmy Jones called us up, and our freshman group that would be me, Rod Carter, all those guys I mentioned earlier, Tim Sims, you know, 
uh, we was killing them. We was killing burning coals on them guys on offense and getting them guys on offense. <laughs> they wouldn't get anything. We Jimmy called it, said, "Hey, you know what? Calls about." And I know it was hot out there too. And he said, "Look, took a knee." He said, "Look, some of y'all think y'all on a four-year scholarship, but as long as I'm here, you know, one year your scholarship is one year renewable." And if I see this again, yada yada yada, and, you know, I can say all that other stuff, but you know, you would not be you would not be here, you know. So we started the whole thing over, man. And, and of course we know back then it was, you know, less water breaks as we get now. And man, we started the whole thing over and after that, I mean, Dad, I'm be honest with you, it's it's like something clicked, you know, we started competing, you know, and I used to go up against Mike quite a bit, you know, and I think that's where he got the slapping of the uh Helmet from you know when he when he used to uh, play with Dallas you know and, and I tell guys all the time you know going against that dude man made me a better player better athlete because again I came in as a uh, wide receiver then got switched to DB when I got there so but boy which he, is he interesting some battles yeah you, it's interesting that you were a wide receiver because you you were known even in your NFL days being a big hitter you dropped the hammer on some guys and yeah. I mean was the the transition easy for you. It wasn't. It wasn't. And like I said earlier, you know, it, it, you know, I almost left, you know, because again, it was something new that I had to learn defensively, um, you know. But again, I was blessed. You know, God gave me a talent, athletic ability to do it, to grasp it, you know, and and um, put it to work there to, uh, you know, get a career in the NFL. Because yeah, yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, again, I mean, I can't give anybody else to. Praise for other than God because again I, I came in. Only time I ever played defense in high school was basically you know, when when a team crossed our fifty yard line, and that wasn't that wasn't quite that wasn't a lot. You know, back in back in my in my era, you know, and right. I, at our school, we were pretty tough back then in high school as well. Are you guys to this day? For, you know, are you still really really close with some of your former teammates at, at Miami? Yeah, we we talk every uh, definitely me and Rod Tracy. You know, Tracy's living in Dallas now. I haven't have a chance to talk to Donald Ellis, who who um, ended up probably you know would have been a first round to pick DB from Fort Myers, uh, but he ended up tearing his knee up in a Florida State game we played up in Doe Campbell Stadium, where we had the uh, two point conversion, and I ended up knocking it down. We ended up winning the game. Yeah, one of the top um, plays of uh, of that year, right? What that was sort of yeah, an sir. iconic play for for you guys, yeah. recognized by ESPN, I believe, right? Right, yes, sir. Yeah, so yeah, we you know I kind of kind of stay in contact with those those gentlemen quite a bit. You no, know, Mike is kind of hard to get in contact with, but you know he'll he'll shoot a tweet now every every now and again. You know, uh, and, I, and I'm trying to. You know, a thing I reason why I kind of lost contact with a lot of guys because they you know we had a big spring game every year. Where a lot of guys come back together down there for the spring uh, game, and I just haven't had a chance to uh, make it back down there. But I do hear about it. Guys shoot pictures of it, you know. And as you know, you know from from the time that Alonzo them graduated, you know, up until probably the Butch era, you know, we used to have about fifty, almost fifty some guys on the sideline every game. <laughs> <laughs> You know, until they, you know, until they stopped it. So, but I, you know, from my understanding, it's supposed to be kind of like that this weekend or tonight for us. Yeah, they have uh, Florida tonight, right? And the, the yeah. actually the season opener for college, all of college football. And yes, so sir. you yeah. go from that wild and crazy environment to the Houston Oilers, which became every bit as wild and crazy. Uh, talk <laughs> a little bit about coming. To, I mean, what did you know about Houston? What did you know about the Oilers before you got here? I, I didn't. I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, the only thing I did know is that 
they was one of the teams besides Green Bay uh, and Oakland that kept coming and um, working me out. You know, and I honestly thought I was going to be in Green Bay. They were the one that was coming in the most, working me out, talking to me, and asking me, you know, what I like to play for and all that. But uh, fortunately, I was drafted by the uh, Oilers and uh, with Alonzo Highsmith help. <laughs> Thank you, <Yeah>. Alonzo. <laughs> and, you know, and the rest of the history, like I said, came in nervous. Uh, got a chance to coach him, one of the iconic coaches of uh, college football now, Nick Saban, who was at Alabama. He coached me the first two years, taught me a lot, you know, just about the game itself, the leverage of the game, you know, intensity of the game. And, again, if you – you know, want to, um, and if I'm going to continue to play well or play at all as my rookie year, um, you know, you got to learn to learn to study film. You got to learn, you know, to do what, take that studying film to the field, you know. And I, and I end up doing that, you know. And of course, uh, I, I owe a lot to him as well as Dave Campo came in right after him, so. And I want you to explain to people, because I don't think people really realize how much talent was on that team? That's one of the one or two top teams to, to never go to the Super Bowl talent-wise. I mean, you can't believe how much talent was on that one roster and really on the de- defensive side of the ball, too. I know it gets overshadowed by the running shoot and, and Warm Moon yeah, uh-huh. and the receivers and, and EG and, and Haywood and all those guys. But you guys mm-hmm. on the defensive side were amazing. Talk about the level of talent on that team. I mean, I mean, where you started, Ray Childress, <laughs> William Fuller, Sean Jones, Doug Smith, you know, uh, God, I mean, Dishman, Chris Dishman, Richard Johnson, Steve Brown, Patrick Allen. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on, man, you know. And we were very talented. And, uh, again, I'm fortunate, as you said, we, we couldn't we couldn't win that win the, uh, big game. And, we, and, again, we've had – Many opportunities to do it, but for some reason we just couldn't get over that hump. But we were loaded, and it was it, it reminded me so much of uh, of the U days. You know, when we when you have that kind of talent on one team, you know, and even at Miami, you know, all the talent that we had, you know, we, I went through that same same level of um, competitiveness, but in it, you know, only coming up with one. Because again, I thought we, I probably should have had you no. Know, at least three rings, you know, at, at the Miami. Yeah, we'll you you were number two twice, and and you won yeah. a national championship there. Yeah, exactly. You know, then unfortunately, my last year with the Notre Dame game, they they took that one fumble from Cleveland Garrett, you know, in the end zone, and Notre Dame ended up winning, going on winning national championship that year. But all us were just as talented athletically uh as as that as those teams or any team in the league at that time you know and it was it was crazy that you know we just couldn't get over that hump man but we were loaded on both sides and one day we're going to sit down and do more just about the oiler days but we don't have a lot of time here because you're in the middle of getting ready for the labor day classic and again this is your ninth season at prairie view fourth as assistant head coach you've been i mean you've really put in work and committed yourself to coaching of course you coached at texas southern you coached uh, for a minute at university of houston so you've really put in the work talk a little bit about the decision to go into coaching for you as a career because some of your teammates uh went into personnel some guys got all the way away from football and and some guys Mm -hmm. some other teammates i'm on the pro level have gotten into coaching what made you want to go into coaching and my my best buddy, one of my best buddies, again, Lama Heisman, talked me into it. <laughs> you know, I was doing, you know, when I actually came out, you know, when I finished my career, 
I actually started training kids, you know, get them ready for a combine, some athletes and, you know, small, small group of high school kids, getting them ready for the season. And Alonzo said, hey, man, why don't you try to, try to coach until? So I tried. He said, you go to Texas Southern. I said, yeah. I said, no, nah, man. I, said, I always said I'd never get into coaching because of the hours, you know. You know, and the kids and whatever, you know, at the time, when, when, if I decided to have kids that won't get a chance to see me, so I, I was like, oh, no way. He said, well, just volunteer, you know, just go and volunteer to see if you like. So I volunteered. I took that step, volunteered for the first four years at Texas Southern, you know. Ended up liking it, you know, aside from, you know, still during the off season when I had a chance, not as much time as I did, you know, prior to starting the volunteering deal there, but, you know, to train kids. But it was grueling. Uh, every bit of what I thought it was going to be, <laughs> you know, but it was satisfaction. The satisfaction came to, you know, again, when you, when you teach these young men and they go off and, you know, become great young men themselves, not, I mean, not only in, in, in the sport, but, of course, that would be a plus if they do it. But, again, it was just more or less teaching them about the game life itself, which I think one football is one of one of these sports, you know, that teaches you a whole lot you know, about the game of life, you know, for these young men. And and after that, you know, I went on, you know, got on the staff with Steve Wil- with uh, Bill Thomas and then Steve Wilson went over to um, join Art Brow that U of H four years before he went to Baylor and then went to high school, uh, Willow Ridge for a couple of years and then then bounced back up there to college level with Coach Northern at PV. And, man, I mean, it's – it's one of them deals where you, you got to love what you're doing, and, and that's what I do because, again, it's about not about me as a coach or getting the accolades, more so about you know teaching these kids the game of the football game, well, football, should I say, and then the life, life itself afterwards. You know, and, and I guess the satisfaction part of it is, is when these young men go off to play, they're blessed enough to go play at the next level or whatever level that may be, you know, NFL. Canadian what arena, you know, those kids come back and say, hey, coach, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, teaching me this, teaching me that, you know, and, and that's the satisfaction part of it, you know, satisfactory part of it. It's just hearing from those young men and, and how their life has, has changed you know, with this sport. Now, and I, we can get into individual players you've helped along the way, but I, let's talk about your season last year at Prairie View. You guys were like, it was like feast or famine. Either you guys were putting up 60 or you were taking an L. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. What? I mean, I just it had to drive you guys as a coaching staff crazy to be so good one week and then, you know, fall short in a game that maybe you were favored in the next week. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how the ups and downs of that crazy 2018 season for you guys. It was crazy, and it's nerve-wracking, again, just to see the potential, especially when you blow someone out. Then, of course, as coaches, you're thinking, you know, you're going to come back, and, again, the game that you're supposed to win, you know, then you don't score a point. A point. You know, it's like just Southern, you know, when they came to us, I mean, 38 nothing. I mean, who would have thought they would have beat us 38 nothing? But I'm like, gee, I'm like, it's like, like nothing was going right that day, you know, and, and that's how – that season was. It, was it was an up and down roller coaster, man. Good one weekend, bad the next weekend. Good two weekend, bad the next two weekend. It was it was frustrating, just you know, and I'm probably even more frustrating for the players because then they probably didn't understand it. You know, at that time, like you know, all they were asking, you know, what's happening, what they think, what they were thinking, what 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 what's going on, why we can't do this, why we can't do that, you know, and that's that's where the coaches come in. You know, we gotta be able to settle those kids down, you know, hey, look, you know, you got to play 60 minutes of football. And that's what Jimmy Johnson always talked about with us at Miami, at, my, at Miami, is, you know, playing 60 minutes of football and doing the little things, you know, 
that's going to help you win the game. And those little things could be just a simple thing. It's just you doing your job. It's not trying to do other people's job. Because a lot of times I tell my kids, when you try to do other people's job, you know, now you're out of place and we got two or three guys out of place and that's when big plays happen. Now, you guys ended the season with a, just a, a massacre, uh, I mean, uh, of Texas Southern. You guys normally play the Labor Day Classic traditionally, right. but that was the last game of the year. And it yeah. seemed like Texas Southern, sort of the, the kids have kind of packed it in, the coaching staff have kind of packed it in. What do, right. what do you – what can you take away – from a game like that when you clearly just – you just dominate almost from the word go in that, in that football game? Well, the only thing – I mean, it's hard because, again, it was, it was a domination by PV at that time. But, again, I always tell the guys, you know, you just never know when these rival team, rival team play each other. And, uh, I mean, one could be great one year, then, you know, another team could be not so good. But, again, when the, when the, when they play each other, it, it, it's – you know everything is thrown out. You know everything. Everything's on the table because again, you just never know. You know those kids may come in. You know and and are ready to go because of the rival that that you shared over the years. You know then because you got the fans out there. You know talking and bragging throughout the whole week. You know the only thing. And again, the only thing you can take from that game is you know, hey, you play sixty minutes of football and you know and a team that was down, you end up uh, keeping them down throughout the whole course of the game. And that's how, you know, championships are won. And that's how you play play good football to where you can win. And, you know, you, you, Jimmy Johnson, you just say, you know, when they're down, we're going to keep kicking them down, you know. And that's what we did that day. But, again, you know, it's a new year. So, we, we, you know. <laughs> Right, and in a rare situation, you end the season with a team and you start with that same team. Now you have Coach Clarence McKinney there, whole yeah, new coaching staff, a lot of new players. How do you game absolutely. plan for this team when you when you know? How do you prepare for a team that you don't have any film on and you really don't know personnel wise what they will yeah, come out with? What? How do you do that as a staff? Well, I man, as a staff, you just kind of go back and see where these coaches uh, coached at. You try to get them on, you know, what they've done in the past. Uh, athletes going to be athletes. Um, that's that's a given. So, you know, as coaches, we, we got to get them to play. They're going to run the schemes. They're going to run the plays. So, but it's more about us, you know, trying to figure out, you know, you know where that coaching staff came from, you know, do our background checks on each and every one of them. So, you know, again, we know where McKinney came from. We know where he's been, who he's coached with. And, you know, we try to figure out, you know, what is he going to run? And that's, the, and that's the hard thing about it because, again, you don't know. You bring in another offensive coordinator. You don't know if he's adapting and going to adopt uh, his style or, or Coach McKinney is going to um, let him do something his or both. So, but again, as coaches, you get your players ready to go no matter what. You, you let them look at film as much as you can. You know, you try to encourage them to look at film as much as you can, getting them to know, you know their opponent across from them. And, you know, then you just try to, you know, go out and try to play 60 minutes of football. Now, a couple more things before I let you go. Do you feel like you've been disrespected as a as a team when it comes to like swag preseason rankings? Do you think this your Prairie View team has the talent to win the Swags Western Division? I do, I, I, and I've, I've said that several years since I've been here. You know, I thought we should have won them because Northern was here, you know, a couple of times as well. Even with Coach Seminole was there, I thought we should, we, 
we had a chance. We put ourselves in position to win it, and then all of a sudden we took ourselves out of it, you know, because, again, got complacent for whatever reason, got big head, you know, for whatever reason, uh, and, and, you know, didn't finish the season. But, yeah, I, I truly believe we, we can definitely uh, win a swack. If, if we play football like we've been playing all camp this year, you know, uh, Coach Dooley has uh, encouraged some dudes, I mean, instilled some dudes, I mean, daily, man, I mean, Every practice, you are not about to take a, a, a time off while on my watch, and and, and they abide into it. And it took them a, took them a minute to buy into it, you know, but they 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 end up doing this, especially these last two weeks. So, but now, how is that going to correlate to on the field when we line up against Texas Southern? Are we going to be one of those teams again? Are we going to start just staying up and down season, or are we going to just be like that last two weeks of our camp team that's been flying around? You know, and doing what you're supposed to do, being where you're supposed to be, so it can give us a chance to win this game. Now, Coach, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the guys in, in, in the secondary on, on the defensive side of the ball, period. Who are the guys that, that you're counting on to step up, uh, not only in the Labor Day Classic, but for your entire season? Who has to do well for that secondary and for that defense to perform well? well Ron C., Michael Dumas, you know, two, are two, for, two defensive line interior guys, you know, they have to step it up. They've been playing. You no, know, Dumas come out for a great freshman year. Ron C. Ron Collins, what we call, call him Ron C. Ron has uh, step it up, and he has all the tools and potential to do so. But we haven't quite got it out of him yet. But he, uh, should I say, last year he's doing turning his ninety percent turnaround this year. And again, and that's 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 what you want to see as a coach. So it's going to be interesting to see what he do coming out uh, starting with the first game. Uh, Drew Anthony Parker, who was our All-American DB back there, see what he can do, uh, see he can step it up another notch, you know, for this year, his last senior year. And, you know, we've got Logan Jackson, who a true red shirt uh, sophomore, uh, who's done very well throughout this camp. And he's going to have to step it up, you know, because this will be his first time out there on the field, you know, consistently and, and doing what uh doing what he did all, all all spring long. I mean, camp long is, you know, make plays. So those guys are definitely gonna have to step it up you know, along with some other role players because again, you know, uh I tell kids all the time, you know, to win championships, you know, you you're gonna have those top notch players, but then like myself at Miami, you gonna have to be role players out, you know, wherever you need to fit in to help this team win, that's what you got to do. And we got a lot of role players, so we we got to see what happens with uh, starting this first game. And, and final question for you, Coach. Uh, the, you've been on both sides of this rivalry. For people who are, are, are unfamiliar with the rivalry, what does it mean? How important is it? How big is the, the Texas Southern versus Prairie View uh, rivalry? This, this thing is huge, people. <laughs> it's huge. I mean, even before I started coaching, you, know, you used to hear about this rivalry all the time, you know, state rivalry, you know, bragging rights. So, you know, and again, like I said, I got buddies, you know, still from TSU when I uh, coached there, you know, players, you know, as well as uh, colleagues. And so it's, it's a huge uh, deal. You know, it's a great, it's going to be a great game, you know, again, uh, with, with McKinney and the new staff, staff over there, you know, Coach Dooley with his, with his uh, second year at PV, and everybody know about Coach Dooley, you know, with his championships at Graham, you know, even at UATB. So 
it's going to be a, uh, a a a good game, you know. And I, and I want you guys to come on out and, and enjoy it because I, I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna miss it, man. You know, the chanting, you know, back and forth, you know, between the band and 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 the fans, you know. So it's going to be an exciting game, and I'm I'm ready to get this thing going. Well, I want to wish you guys good luck, and and again, other than Saturday. I want to the ring. Obviously, I, I broadcast Texas Southern football. Yeah, but you, aside from Saturday, we root you guys on the rest of the way. But I also want to thank you, man. You've always been available. Going back to since 1992, you've always been available when I, I asked you to come out. And, and I really appreciate you uh, and the conversation and the insight. And there's so much more that we, you know, we'll visit in the future and get into uh, more about the Oilers, more about Jimmy Johnson and, and Saban and all of those things. But thanks so so much and again aside from next saturday good luck with your 2019 campaign thank you Jeff. appreciate it sir that was our conversation with bubba mcdowell former houston Oilers, former miami hurricane and uh, that'll do it for the first half of this episode of the sports talk with devin wade podcast coming up a word from our sponsor and of course a mix from our dj our resident dj dj anarchy in the second half we'll hear from darvin kitsy and we'll have some good news and a whole lot more this is briefcast 34 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. DJ Anarchy. Briefcast 34 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. That's DJ Anarchy in the mix. And, of course, you'll hear the rest of an extended portion of his mix at the end of the show. Just a reminder, if you are a fledgling artist of any genre, if you're a DJ, a musician, doesn't matter, gospel, classical, country, reggae, whatever you do, if you'd like to send us your music, get with me. Go to the Wade's Word uh, Productions website and reach out to me. Send me an email, a contact.
contact me. And of course, uh, we will play a snippet at the halfway point and the majority, if not the entirety of a song or mix at the conclusion of an episode. So hit me up and do that. want to remind you guys, you can also call, always call 832-941-6614 if you uh, want to leave a message. And of course, uh, the We The People segment. Speaking of We The People, Got a phone call from our guy, Paul Donald. He's a big time supporter of the Friday Express. And of course, the sports talk, he left a message and he talked about the poll question. So we do have on the We The People segment under the Sports Talk with Devin Wade tab on the website, uh, you we have some poll questions. You can go there and answer those poll questions and give your feedback, and then we can talk about those things on future episodes. He called and talked about the poll question. And you know what I'm going to do for him? When we get our Sports Talk with Devin Wade t-shirts in, he's going to get a free Sports Talk with Devin Wade t-shirt. We'll have those available. We'll have some other gear. I think we'll have some uh, some mugs, some beer mugs, and some shot glasses possibly, and some caps. All of that stuff is coming up. Uh, I think first we'll have the T-shirts, though. And when we do, Paul Donald, because you were the first one to call, you get a T-shirt. Now, will the second caller get one? I don't know. Will the fifth? I don't know. Well, randomly, we will give away a Sports Talk with Devin Wade t-shirt if we get you guys active on the website. With that, I want to go to a segment that we call Ain't That Good News. Ain't That Good News, man. I wanted to do this segment because, you know, you look at the news, the headlines in the news are so depressing. The Amazon is on fire. Glaciers are melting. There are billions and billions of plastic uh, items in our ocean that will make their way up through our ecosystem and eventually kill us all. It's just so depressing. And all we want to do is argue about chicken sandwiches. <laughs> I mean, I mean what, what, is, what are we really doing? What are we really doing here? But nonetheless, you turn away from those things and you turn to the world of sports where you see Jay-Z is making a deal with the NFL and is he backstabbing Colin Kaepernick? You see a coach in Brian Flores throwing shade at one of his players who's supporting Colin Kaepernick. You have Marcellus Wiley starting a race war. <laughs> not, not a race war, but it, starting some, some stuff. I mean, it just is ridiculous. It's ridiculous what he did. I posted a clip of Mar Marcellus Wiley, former NFL player, co-host of a show with Jason Whitlock, who is, we have gotten after time and time again. A lot of people call him a lot of ugly names for his views, and it is what it is on that part. But Marcellus Wiley essentially came out, and he said that, uh, that Colin Kaepernick and Kenny Stills and, and Colin's girlfriend, they couldn't, they couldn't represent this movement because they haven't felt the full weight, the full brunt of what it feels like to be black. I guess that blackness was not – well, she's not African-American. He is half black and half white, and he was raised in Wisconsin. And, uh, and Marcellus Wiley said, hey, because of that, he can't represent – this cause and so jay-z do what you do and so it just was it was so ignorant and so ill-informed i was really going to get into it because it's a personal issue with me because again i have had and within and a lot of people outside of the african-american community don't really understand or uh, realize the the colorism that's still an issue to this day i saw this with kids a couple years ago and it blew my mind that this is still where we are 
where it was team light skin versus team dark skin. And it just, you know, those things are just so utterly disturbing to me. And so essentially I was going to get into that, but I don't, I mean, it's so ignorant and it makes no sense. And more than anything, it sounded like Marcellus Wiley had some very personal issues. This was, this, this wasn't, this wasn't about Jay-Z in the NFL. This was an attack on Colin Kaepernick's blackness, on him as a person. Don't know what that's about. He really kept bringing – I didn't even know a lot about Nessa or what, you know, I guess Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend. I mean, she's been in the spotlight, but I don't think – when I think Colin Kaepernick, I don't think about his girlfriend. But Marcellus Wiley went way, way, way out of his way – to sort of discredit both of them and to discredit Kenny Steele's who's biracial. And it's just, it's no room for that. That is, that's beyond ignorant. And it's feeding into the divisiveness that people want the African-American community to have on this issue. The NFL wants the African-American community to sort of forget about the Colin Kaepernick, uh, the fact that he's not in the league. They want you to forget about that and worry about, oh, we're going to have Nicki Minaj and DJ Khaled on stage and Jay-Z is going to make that happen with soundtracks and a halftime show. Now, again, you can debate about whether the it's valid for Jay-Z to be in the room, but whatever you feel about this issue, either way, what Marcellus Wiley did was ignorant and it was personal. It, it, it sounded... If you go back and listen to it through the lens of somebody, this was about something personal in his life. These are tough, tough issues that the African-American community will continue to have to work through. But for you to get on national television and say this and say, oh, I'm keeping it 1000 percent. No, what you're doing is unveiling something deeply personal about that woman, that man, Kenny Steele, that irks you, that gets under your skin, and you can't, couldn't wait for Jay-Z to make this deal. Now, Roland Martin and some of the other pundits around him, uh, and, and really black Twitter, can make a bigger fool out of you than I can. I'm not going to indulge it too much, but I will say this, that you would, it's just a ridiculous situation and I hope he gets an opportunity to deal with whatever he's dealing with. But that aside, it's time for really what I say is some good news. And the good news is there are a lot of people out there doing some really, really positive things. Here in Houston, for instance, James Harden is enjoying his third annual JH-Town weekend. The James Harden weekend is when he comes in to uh, create, bring in, he brings in all his celebrity friends, all of his folks for a, a charity concert. On Saturday afternoon, he hosted a community event for uh, 100 pre-selected children and their families. Mayor Sylvester Turner was on hand for that. He has a comedy show. He has a celebrity softball match, uh, match game, <laughs> celebrity softball game at the University of Houston. And it's all to benefit his Three the Hard Way Foundation, which offers scholarships and internship opportunities for students facing economic adversity. So that is good news. Uh, Russell Westbrook will be involved uh, or has been involved. Travis Scott, Meek Mill, some comedians. So it's been a great, great thing. And that is good news. In addition to that, you probably have heard this one, but Steph Curry has revived the golf program at Howard University. 
He came across a young man at a documentary that he produced called Emmanuel. It's a, it was a documentary about the deadly 2015 shooting of nine black warshippers at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and a bunch of students from Howard came, and one guy said, hey, let's play a round of golf. One of the kids, I guess students, said that. He said that he loved the game of golf, but he gave it up so he could pursue his academic career at Howard University, which did not have a golf program at the time. Now they will. And Steph Curry said he will make a seven-figure donation paid out over the next six years, aimed at giving Howard time to raise an endowed fund that would make the program self-sustainable. So he is doing that, and he's going to fund a seven-figure contribution to Howard University for golf. Uh, That, I'm sure, will eventually allow kids to have scholarships and play. And and again, hey, that is a huge, huge deal. Maybe he can get some other high-profile folks to do that. Uh, Maybe Charles Barkley, who has a horrible golf game. Maybe Tiger Woods, who has his own foundation doing uh, great things as well. Uh, But again, that is good news. In addition to that, the Houston Texans, who I've I just I wear them out all the time. I don't I you know, I have a lot of problems with that organization. I have a lot of problems with their philosophies and the way they want to do things, but they have done a lot of good in the community and you cannot not acknowledge when they do that. So the Houston Texans co-founder and senior chair, the widow of Bob McNair, Janice McNair, has arranged to donate $5 million to ProVision Incorporated in Sunnyside and the Sunnyside community. And that is a neighborhood that is, you know, that's a lower income neighborhood. It's an older neighborhood. It's a rough, rough part of town. I mean, I grew up right around the corner in South Park. And, you know, a lot of my buddies, one of my best friends, Went to Worthing right there in Sunnyside. But nonetheless, the Texans organization, they're donating this money to support education, community relations, and economic development. So in addition to that donation, the McNairs also gifted $450,000 to support ProVision's Urban Farm an aquaponics initiative. I don't know what an aquaponics initiative is, but they are giving a quite a substantial money uh, amount of money to ProVision. I know ProVision has done a lot of really good things for kids in that community, young men in that community. They work really, really hard. They've had a lot of success. Uh, Ronell Young is the ProVision founder, and it's helping him to set up a foundation for the transformation of the Sunnyside community, as well as enhancing the quality of life for those who live there. And we may visit with those folks over at ProVision at some point, but great job for the uh, by the Houston Texans to make this donation. So for all of those things that I just mentioned, and there are many more that we'll be mentioning in future episodes, but that is good news. With that, want to go to a conversation we had with former Texas Southern wide receiver, second-year Washington Redskins wide out, Darvin Kidzie. Now, Kidzie came to Texas Southern and sat out a year and played one year after transferring from North Texas. Now, again, he was a really quality receiver in his brief time with Texas Southern, but he worked hard, and he was self-sufficient in a lot of ways and really got an opportunity to make the practice squad for the Washington Redskins. After not having much, uh, he wasn't highly celebrated coming out. He didn't get drafted. He was a free agent, made his way onto the practice squad. I talked to him because a couple of very important HBCU folks 
are there in Washington, and one of them made the interview happen. Texas Southern's own Tony Wiley, good friend of mine, good friend of the show, he uh, arranged that. I mean, obviously, he's a, a vice president of communications for the Washington Redskins, so uh, I reached out to him, and he made Mr. Kidsey available. And, of course, Doug Williams, a high-ranking official for the Washington Redskins, and he's a Grambling State product. So, of course, with those two guys in the front office, it really helps with a guy like Darvin Kidsey. At least you want to know what those relationships are like, and, and sure enough, those things helped out. Now, part of the conversation, we had a bad connection. He literally talked to me on the practice field as – practice wrapped up so we didn't have the best connection so the first part of the interview was not a i wasn't able to salvage that to air that but he talked about coach blacklock at texas southern he talked about his time at texas southern and what it did for him and how it made it possible for him to go to the next level i asked him about the quarterback situation he does talk a little bit about that of course dwayne haskins is up there cope mccoy uh, from the uh, University of Texas and Case Keenum, who, by the way, has just been named the starter for the Washington Redskins. He talked a little bit about that, but he talked about uh, the pride and the assistance he's gotten from Tony Wiley and the other folks that are HBCU guys. So here is a, a portion of a conversation, the, the sort of arable portion of a conversation we had with Washington Redskins wide receiver Darvin Kidsey. And I know that you're working a lot with, uh, with a couple of quarterbacks, one with Houston ties in Case Keenum. Talk a little bit about yes, what sir. you're seeing. Oh, well, yeah, last year was Colt. You know, he's uh, also a Texas native, and um, I spent a little bit of time this offseason training with Case uh, in Houston, and um, and Dwayne is coming along really well also, so it, it's pretty good competition between the quarterbacks as well, so we're all just having fun out here, man. Well, it sounds like it. I know it's a lot of hard work as well. What do you tell the current Tiger, TSU Tigers? What do you tell the guys that are about to lace them up here for the swag? What do you tell them about making their dreams come true like you're in the process of doing? Man, if I did it, they can too. That's 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 my motto. I like a lot of people call me kid, but I like to call myself the kid who did. That's my motto. If I did it, they can too. Just you got to put your mind to it. And uh, be honest with yourself, like I said earlier, and you'll 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 get here for sure. At, at any point, this sort of doubt creep into your mind when you were facing when you're just working hard, not not knowing if you'd ever get your shot. Were you ever like, man, maybe this is not for me? Nah, never, never. I always had a I always had faith. You know, um, I had a couple mistakes being younger, but you know everybody has mistakes, and it's it's crazy that you if if you make one mistake, everybody think you you know this and that. But I just always had faith, and that took me a long way. Now, you a lot of folks in Houston will be hearing this, and a lot of folks here in the Great Houston area, Missouri City, will be hearing from you. What do you say? What did you get from your hometown and from from Elkins and from your community to help you get to this point to where you are now? Well, you know, uh, Texas is a big competition. You know, it's a lot of competition in Texas, you know. So I went to a 5A school. So it's, it's guys, you know, that play really well um, that, that didn't get a chance to get to this, this stage. So I, I use them as motivation, just kind of like just, just teaching me what not to do. And I, I, like, I like to hang around a, a lot of older guys growing up. So they just taught me a lot and um, just getting me prepared for this this stage right here so what about uh family as far as uh family support and those uh, in your immediate family and your extended family that supported you throughout 
Oh yeah, they stay they stay by my side, you know, through the ups and downs. Just stay here with me, and um, it it, it meant a lot, you know, going from tra- transferring from schools and then you know, getting ready for the draft. You know, I I don't have an agent currently, so I just take all you know responsibilities on my own and make sure that uh, I take care care of my business. So. As you look at the roster and you look at how things are playing out, how do you see yourself? What kind of season, what kind of outcome will you have at the end of camp going into the season? Oh, I, I plan on having a pretty good, good season, man. I, I prepare really well this offseason, and uh, everything's going the right way right now. You know, I'm just making sure I'm in the right places at the right time, around the ball. And um, if you know what to do, you you know, you, you should be really good on uh, on Sunday. So now you, uh, that's half the battle. You got into you got your first NFL reception last year. What was that moment like? What was that game like? What was that whole environment like when you got your first reception uh, of your NFL career? I wanted more. I wanted more. Um, preseason last year, I I had a pretty good preseason, just putting up stats. So I just I just want to make plays, man. That's all I want to do. <laughs> And finally, what do you say to your Texas Southern family? I'm, you know, a lot of folks who are rooting for you, trying to keep up with you, and 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 just want you to the best for you and, and your NFL career. Oh, go Tigers! That's 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 what I say, man. Go Tigers! It's a lot of hard work, man. But uh, I'm repping for the HBCUs here. here uh, me, Tony, uh, Danny Johnson. You know, he went to Southern. A couple other guys, but go Tigers. That's what I got to say right there. Hey, well, thank you so much and continue success. And, and we'll be rooting for you and uh, keeping an eye out for you and your success this season. Appreciate you having me. Hey, thanks a lot. I want to thank Darvin Kidsey for joining us. I want to thank Tony Wiley for making that happen. And so sorry that the first portion of that interview was not arable, uh, but nonetheless had a chance to catch up with him for a few moments. And if things, all things go well, we may catch up with him again in the near future. Let's hope that he makes the roster, makes the active roster, and uh, is able to contribute to that receiving core for the Washington Redskins. With that, it's time for... The Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. Now, the Lamont Award is given to someone that is deemed to be the big dummy of the episode. (laughs) Not necessarily the week, but of the episode. We have many, many candidates, and I went to one that is sort of an obvious one, and it's sticking with a theme that we've touched on already in this episode. We've talked to uh, somebody about Miami, well, the city of Miami, from the city of Miami, at least went to college there, and we talked about Colin Kaepernick. Well, this uh, big dummy combines both of those. The big dummy of the week is rookie head coach for the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores. Brian Flores is in his rookie year, and he is in training camp with Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills has been very outspoken and is one of the few players in the NFL that continues to kneel along with Eric Reed in support of uh, really the fight for uh, against social injustice and supporting Colin Kaepernick. Well, when Jay-Z signed his deal with the NFL, Kenny Stills wasn't thrilled about it, and he said so. And so what – does his coach do does he support him does he fight him what how does he deal with this well this is what he did after Kenny Stills went in on Jay-Z and saying that he was not well informed and uh, didn't reach out to Colin Kaepernick or him or Eric Reed before signing his deal Brian Flores decided to pick out more than a half dozen Jay-Z songs and play them at the start of practice really 
trolling. Now, whether he intended to or not, he trolled Kenny Stills. So, again, whatever your intent was, it was really obvious that you were sending a message to Kenny Stills. So, what did he do? He says in the press conference, it was a challenge to Kenny to perform regardless of whatever is going on outside. That's what Flores told reporters after the Dolphins beat the Jaguars in a preseason game. He said, uh, I would say, and I would say to him, he has performed up to that level over the course of training camp or as I've seen. So that was a challenge to get open, catch the football, and make plays for this team, regardless of what's going on outside of this building. And, and, and he went on to say this. Let me, let me say the rest of it so I want to make sure we get it in. Quite honestly, it doesn't mean that, again, his trolling did not mean, does not mean he does not support Kenny Steele. This is what he said about that. Quite honestly, they're bringing attention to my story, said Flores, who grew up in Brooklyn and whose parents are from Honduras. He says, I'm the son of immigrants. I'm black. I grew up poor. I grew up in New York during the stop and frisk era. So I've been stopped because I fit a description before. So everything that these guys protest, I've lived it. I've experienced it. So I applaud those guys' protests. So whether it's Kaepernick or Eric Reed or Kenny, I applaud those guys. I told Kenny that in our meeting in front of the entire team. He goes on to say some more stuff. So you saying outwardly, yeah, that you uh, you really, really support what Kenny and Kaepernick and Eric Reed are doing, but you go and troll him by playing a bunch of Jay-Z music, knowing that that is a sore subject with Kenny Stills. But beyond all of that, you are a rookie head coach. Why did you bring attention to a otherwise mundane practice by doing this? Now you're having to answer questions. Now you're creating at least, if not dissension, it, you, you're creating some friction, some negative energy in that situation. It's not smart. You have more things to worry about on the team. I'm rooting for you because there's not a lot of African-American coaches in the NFL, and I want you guys to succeed when you get the opportunity. Things don't look well for Miami, considering the personnel on the team right now. They don't look to be uh, able to have a great season moving forward. We'll see. You never know. But it, it doesn't look good going into the season. So this is the fight. This is the hill you want to die on this is the game you want to play you want to play games with kenny Steele's head by playing jay-z songs this is what we're doing you're a rookie head coach man you have other guys on the team that are not kenny Steele's. kenny Steele's is already having some issues with the ownership it was just not your fight it was not the thing to do in front of everybody you knew media were out there this was all over twitter and all over the the wide newswire before practice was even over but this is what you want to do. This is what you think is important. Do you think Bill Belichick would do this? Do you think Pete Carroll would do this? Do you think – give me another – who's another good coach in the NFL? Sean Payton. Do you think Sean Payton would do this? I mean, look at some of the better coaches. If you want to go back in history, what coaches do you think would do this? Do you think Dennis Green would have done this? Now I'm going to African-American coach. Mike Tomlin wouldn't even do this. I don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But you trying to troll but not troll Kenny Stills makes you a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs>
with that, we're still rooting for Brian Flores. Get your thing together. It was just a rookie mistake. Don't do that. Leave all of that outside of the locker room. You brought it into the locker room. Why did you bring it into the locker room? If it's outside of the locker room, why did you put it in the locker room? You did what you didn't want him to do. But nonetheless, rooting for you, Brian Flores. Get your thing together. Because it's going to be hard. Because you're going to lose a lot of games. But get your thing together, Brian Flores. We want you to succeed. With that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, want to thank you guys. Want to thank Bubba McDowell. Want to thank Darvin Kitsy. Want to thank you guys for listening. Want to thank my man Paul Donald for calling. DJ Anarchy. Want to thank him for the mix. Want to remind you guys, 832-941-6614 to call and comment about anything you heard on this episode or any of the other episodes. And go to wadeswordproductions.com. Subscribe. uh, Comment in different areas if you want to go to the sports talk side if you want to go to the friday express side comment get involved let's make this thing as interactive as we can want to thank you so so much again on twitter at wade's word but most importantly the website at wadeswordproductions.com everything is there getting out of here with the remainder of a portion of a dj anarchy mix and as always have a great day anarchy Baby girl, you find yourself though. Now you've been behind the red door. Anytime you know they're close to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby girl, now you are one though. Baby girl, I mean you want though.